Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Targa. Thanks for joining us today. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background, our guest today comes to us from the Jersey Shore. She's a folklorist, a college administrator. She is one Julia Kane. For our conversation today, we are going to be discussing the Dixie Chicks and their record, Taking the Long Way. Now, you might say, wait a minute, I'm not familiar with the Dixie Chicks. I'm familiar with the Chicks. For all intents and purposes of this conversation, I'm going to be referring to them as the Dixie Chicks because at the time that this record uh, was released back on May 23rd, 2006, they were still known as the Dixie Chicks. So just an FYI for, for all of our listeners here. Taking the Long Way debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 way back when now in 2006, and it sold over 21 and a half million copies in the U.S., was certified platinum twice by the Recording Industry Association of America, won five Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year, Record of the Year, as well as Song of the Year in February 2007. This record spawned five singles that we'll learn in just learn about in just a little bit. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest to the program, Julia Kane. It's great to hear from you. Thanks for uh, taking some time to be here. No, it's my pleasure, Matt. I'm always glad to talk about interesting facts about things. So what made you choose this particular record called Taking the Long Way? So I think that the the Dixie Chicks or the Chicks were, they were a very foundational group in my sort of young adulthood. Um, I spent my teen years in Texas after having spent my my life previous to that in Metro Philly, and that was a big change. Um, but one of the things that really spoke to me and my mom and my sister was the Dixie Chicks and their music. Um, Wide Open Spaces came out in, I want to say, 98 and that really made a big difference for us in how we connected with Texas, how we connected with sort of setting boundaries and deciding where we wanted to be. Um, I was 15 that year, and it really made a difference of like how I wanted to, to see myself. Um, and the chicks were something really different in country music at the time, because we were sort of coming off a... Garth Brooks, Reba McIntyre, George Strait kind of vibe. And they are all legends, obviously. But having country music really being embraced by these young women who were a little rebellious, um, clearly a little bit inspired by sort of the riot girl vibe that had been coming out of Seattle in the mid-90s. Um, their songs were about not just taking the path that was set out for you and making decisions about what you wanted to do with your life instead of just following along. So all that to say, it was a big deal when in 2003, during a concert in London, uh, Natalie Maines made some comments about George Bush and the impending war in Iraq and country music radio flip their lids, basically. Um, 
the the band members were getting death threats. All their music got pulled from country radio. This was like this was a massive, a massive group, right? This is like if somebody decided no no Taylor Swift would ever be played on the radio ever again, right? Like that's that's comparable, right? And for three years, they basically went into hiding um, because they were in danger from angry fans. Um, and taking a long way was the album that came out sort of when they decided they were done hiding. And, you know, you talked about some great achievements that they hit about being number one and having a bunch of Grammy awards. And I think something that's really interesting is that they did that with essentially zero radio play. Uh, Country music did not play them when they came back, which is unusual. And I think was a precursor to some of the issues that we see now in country music about women's voices. There have been statistical studies shown that a song by a woman is typically played less than once per hour on country radio, which is disproportionately unequal, especially because, again, much like the chicks taking the long way did, Women's music sells really well. Miranda Lambert's albums sell really well. Carrie Underwood's albums sell really well. Um, Maren Morris, Kelsey Ballerini, these all sell really well, but you almost never hear them. And when they do play them, it is most likely to be between the hours of about 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. So not drive so time. Like, yeah, not exactly prime time when everyone's listening. Yeah. Right. Um, and I feel like a lot of the seeds of this are sort of in the Dixie Chicks controversy. Because before that controversy happened, there were a lot more female voices on country radio. Um, they were always looking for the new the new chicks, right? Your Shadaisies and your Sherry Austins and your, obviously, Shania's, right? And then I think they sort of pulled away from women's voices. But taking the long way, the lead single is not ready to make nice, right? And not ready to make nice is is literally like a diss track response to that controversy saying, I'm not sorry for what I did. I should be allowed to say that I don't support a politician or a war or violence and not have my life threatened. And that was really meaningful for me as a young woman who was trying to find my way. It was 2006. I was in my early 20s. Um, it, you know, that's a hard time to figure out who you are sort of in the world and to be fighting against things like discrimination in your job and weird dating and like everything was just hard. And then there were these people that were like, you know what? I'm not sorry. I did the things that I thought were right and I'm not sorry about it. And that was like an earth shaking and not just for me. I think for a lot of sort of the women my age who had similarly felt them to be a really integral part of their development and then had that thunderclap of, oh, oh, no, if you're if you're too independent, you get this smash down. Right. And I think we see that a lot now, too 
with the internet and the kind of things that happen with Twitter, where if you say the wrong thing, you might end up Gamergate and people are doxing you and threatening your life because you said something you didn't, they didn't like about whatever. Um, and I think that that's really been sort of the story of a lot of women my age is we want to be taking these steps and being whole people and feeling like we have the right and the ability to be our riot girl selves. But then we have to sort of take the backlash that comes with that and figure out how to navigate that. And do I say I'm sorry and make myself small? Do I say I'm not sorry and like never really have the same success ever again and put my livelihood at risk? Um, And so that's, I think, part of why this album is so important to me. Um, I do think it's also interesting to note that it is significantly more country, like more old school 1930s to 1960s style country than some of their early work was. Like as they've gotten more outspoken politically and further away from the country music establishment, their sound has actually gotten much more traditionally sort of outlaw country from the mid-century. We're talking with Julia Kane right now on Cover to Cover. Julia is a folklorist. She's a college administrator. She's dialing in from the Jersey Shore. Uh, Julia, um, can you describe for our listeners who comprised the chicks? Who were the main ingredients? Sure. So the sort of musical foundation of the the chicks are the Irwin sisters. Um, at the time they first became famous, they were Mar- called Marty McGuire and Emily Irwin. Emily then married um, Charlie Robeson and became Emily Robeson. And now I think they both have other dif- last names because they've both been divorced again and remarried again. Um, but Marty and Emily were the musical and instrumental foundation of the band. Uh, Emily is an incredible guitarist, banjo player, steel guitar, uh, and Marty is a ridiculous, uh, fiddler. Um, but sort of the front woman of the band and the voice of the band is Natalie Maines, who joined the sisters. Um, they'd already been sort of playing as the Dixie Chicks for a while by the time Natalie joined them. But by the time they took off, they were all three together. Um, And Natalie has an unusual voice. She has very soaring top note vocals, but it's, it's got a hint of smokiness to it. And her belt is incredibly powerful. Um, She's got a, a really vibrant mid-range so she's not the whisper soft falsetto that sometimes you hear in um, a female singer her voice is always powerful and even when singing a lullaby it's not soft or whispery which is um something that we we i feel like we don't always hear in pop music is this foundational deep mid-range 
that the guitar also echoes and the fiddle sings, you know, sings the high parts. So Natalie can stay real strong because the, the fiddle is there doing that beautiful top note descant. You have alluded to the fact that you're a longtime fan of the Dixie Chicks. Can you describe for our listeners exactly, you know, when you discovered the group? Was this, was this particular album um, your indoctrination, if you will, you know, into the band or were you there from the very beginning? Or did you mention earlier that you were 15 years old when you discovered the Dixie Chicks? Yeah. So I came to the Dixie Chicks, um, not at the very beginning of their work together because they had some sort of, you know, every band has the small let's play coffee houses vibe. Right. Um, but their first big album, which was Wide Open Spaces in the late 90s, um, was a smash hit all over country radio. And I was living in El Paso, Texas at the time, which had uh, three radio stations in English, two of which were country. Um, so we accidentally started listening to country music. Um <laughs> My mom is, my mom's a music fan. My mom's been into folk music forever. You know, she was your, you had a lot of Peter, Paul and Mary in my, in my small years, but um, we were never really country listeners in a sort of classical way through the eighties and early nineties because we lived in New Jersey and they, they, they don't really do that here or they, they do now, but they didn't then. Um, so when we moved to Texas, we were like, okay, let's listen to the radio because we listened to the radio all the time because, you know, this was before streaming was a thing. You you listen to a radio or you listen to the greatest hits of the B-52s on repeat in your cassette player, which we also did. Um, but, you know, you can really only listen to Love Shack and Deadbeat Club because that's on the reverse a certain number of times. And then finally you're like, I must listen to a new song. Um, and 66% of the radio stations, which were in English were country music stations in El Paso. And we did listen to the Spanish music station. Sometimes I can still rock out with some Juanes and his uh, Camisa Negra, but mostly we rolled with the one oldest station and the two country stations. And that's how we came to the Dixie Chicks. And it was just like the perfect concatenation of forces. Um, my parents were splitting up. There's a lot of songs on there about heartbreak and about, you know, not taking bad, bad behavior and about doing what's right for you. So my mom was super into them because, you know, She's listening to songs like There's Your Trouble about somebody who's cheating. And she's listening to things like um, Let Him Fly, which is about releasing and not holding on to things that aren't working for you anymore. And then my sister and I, who are 12 and 15, are listening to things like Wide Open Spaces, which is about finding your own way as you become an adult. And, you know, it really was the perfect group for where we all were in our lives at that point. Um, and they also, of course, were exploding at the time. Um, and they got, 
they got so big that when my family left Texas and moved back to Philadelphia, a bunch of the girls in my senior class in high school got into the Dixie Chicks when their second album came out. And they were like, do you know about this? And I was like, excuse me, have you seen my T-shirt that I've been wearing for three months? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. I lived in Texas. I know about the Dixie Chicks. Um, but like they were huge. They headlined Lilith Fair. Your lovely wife and I went to that Lilith Fair because we loved the Dixie Chicks so much. Um, like that was they were a huge deal. And then very abruptly, they were nowhere because they said the wrong thing about the wrong person, apparently. And a lot of people got real mad and they were just off the radio. I think from what I remember, uh, it was the it was the son of Colin Powell, I think, who was directing the FCC at the time. Interesting uh, uh, relationship there. Um Talking with Julia Kane here on Cover to Cover with Matt Targa, all things the Dixie Chicks, and we are talking about taking the long way. Now, this feels like a really good segue to talk about some of your favorite tracks. Would you like to uh, pick out just a couple, or would you like to systematically go uh, a, a traditional route of cover to cover? Um, we'll be guided by you. Um, I feel like going... Actually, cover to cover is kind of a lot, but maybe we could do a highlights in chronological order. That sounds like a daily double type of answer. Right. <laughs> but like the first three, so the first three are such an incredible, um, almost like a medley, almost like your, you know, Abbey Road side two, everything sort of moves into one another. Um, not orally the same way that Abbey Road Side 2 does, but it's really like a nice narrative narrative story about, about flying high and then making different choices and then going into seclusion and then deciding you're going to come back. So I definitely think if we did the first three in a row, that would for sure be something I think would be meaningful. Let's do it. So the first track is called The Long Way Around and uh, this is a co-write with Dan Wilson from the band Semisonic, which many people know from from that absolute smash hit that they had called Closing Time. Um, delicious pop country. Gives you all the goosebumps. This, you know, kind of someone walking around, avoiding any sort of stagnation. Somewhere, Julia, there's a trip to the beach and a trip to the carnival squeezed into a full day on this track. What What say you? Yeah, I think that it has a lot of, I think it has a lot of energy and I think it's like a really great way to open an album with talking about how you've been on top of the world and you've been super busy and and at the same time taking a sort of Robert Frost, the road not taken approach to it, mm -hmm. which I really like as a sort of like a different way of approaching sort of an outlaw country vibe, right? Yeah. And that, I mean, that first lyrical phrasing or stanza, there's a specific call out to, you know, people that uh, are, are living in the same zip codes where their parents live. Um, but they couldn't take that, that road less traveled, right? Um, it's definitely about a journey, right? And it's, uh, I mean, the line... I fought with a stranger and I met myself, I think is incredible. I think it really talks to 
the sort of, you can't know yourself, right? Just for yourself. No man is a mystery except to himself. But putting yourself out, engaging with the world, figuring out different places, figuring out what things you're willing to fight for are how you figure out yourself. I think that if there hadn't been this big scandal for them, they would not have gotten to this place, right? I think they would have stayed in sort of a traveling soldier is like one of the best songs on their previous album home, but it's also like a nostalgic uh, picture postcard to the Vietnam war. Well, not the war itself, but like to the effect that that had on people and their lives and relationships. And I don't know if they would have gotten to a place where, you know, now their current work is very informed by injustice and by fighting and by uh, asserting themselves and being advocates. And I don't, I don't know if they would have gotten to that place without the con like the conflict that they sort of address in taking the long way. Mm -hmm. And I think it is relevant to mention that all those other bands that were back in the early chicks days they're not they they didn't have that controversy and they didn't have that growth and they're not putting out albums now um and the albums that we are getting from women in country are much more aggressive are much more about advocating are much more if you cheat on me i'll actually murder you um which is a classic of the country genre but it's kind of nice to have it you know circle back and I think that if they hadn't had the controversy, I don't know if they would have made that leap over that bridge, right? Because there is quite a crevasse between Cowboy Take Me Away, I want to sleep with you in a field of wildflowers, and I'm not sorry, right? Mm -hmm. To add on to that particular part of the lyric here, well, I fought with a stranger and I met myself, I opened my mouth and I heard myself. That's... That's a really startling discovery for many people. You know, some people don't always necessarily like the sound of their own voice. It's scary and it's uncomfortable. And there's a, a lot of vulnerability with that idea. And, and she continues, it, it can get pretty lonely when you show yourself, guess I could have made it easier on myself. So yes, there, there's a little bit of, I hate to use the term second guessing, but the narrator isn't second guessing at all. I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it regret either. I would say like a cleared eye a clear-eyed acceptance that like it could have been an easier path. But you don't grow in comfortable places. That's something I tell my college students all the time when they're having hard times. I'm like, yeah, but you don't grow in the easy places, right? You Absolutely. you stagnate. You you're going through something hard now and that's hard and that sucks and I'm sorry but you're going to come out of it on the other side better able to deal with other things that happen to you, right? Like, I think that in the past year, specifically, there has been an unhealthy focus on grit and resilience, right? Like, we're, we've been so expected to be resilient and to just power through and to not acknowledge things that are hurting us. But like, it is important to go through things that hurt you. 
because something will eventually come to hurt you. And if you don't have the skill sets to like deal with that, it hurts you worse. So I think that a lot of that is saying, you know, I, I could have had an easier time. I could have just sung the songs, made cute little banter, not had an issue. But when other things start happening in my life, I'm going to be ready for those things because I've been through this. Chatting with Julia Kane here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka about the chicks. And uh, what's next, Julia? I believe we have Song Easy line? Silence. Yeah, I think we have Easy Silence, track two. Yeah. So this is much more of a sort of a classic love song, about, but it's not about, it's not about romance so much as it's about peace and respite. Um, so Taking the Long Way has been about making choices that made your life hard, right? And then Easy Silence comes back and says, but I found places of peace and places where I could be still in myself and still, you know, with this person that I care about um, that has given me shelter from that drama that I've sort of brought in. And so it's, it's a love song, but it's not about attractiveness and it's not about roses and romance and kisses. It's about having somebody have your back and keep you safe. Marty McGuire really shines on this track. There's a lot of pensive, moody piano as well, just some really nifty figures. And uh, it it kind of reminded me, in terms of moodiness, reminded me of Tom Petty's It's Only a Broken Heart off of Wildflowers. I've been kind of recently revisiting that in full. And uh, there's just a nice, you know, as as the title of the song is, Easy Silence, There's a there seems to be this allowance of stillness by all of the instrumentation to kind of breathe around the vocals, which is just really nice. It's just, it's a, it's a really wonderful track. Yeah. It's got a lot of space in it, right? Like the, 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 the fiddle is there, but it's long adagio drawn out notes. It's not the frantic, uh, you know, honky tonk two step that you might have heard in in some of their other work, it's it's more of an Itzhak Perlman and less of a you know nitty gritty dirt band, um, which I think is a real. It shows a real flexibility, and and a, a breadth of ability for Marty McGuire, right? Like not everybody can be both of those things. Are there any uh, lyrics that stand out for you in particular on this track? One of the things that I really, I really like is the line, it's okay when there's nothing more to say to me. Um, I think there's a tendency to talk things to death and to constantly be trying to process and trying to sort of work your way through everything that's happening. And I sort of appreciate that lyrics acknowledgement that like, 
Sometimes there's nothing left. You've said all the things that there are to say, but that doesn't have to leave things feeling empty or boring or unfinished. That can make things feel complete. Yeah, I love that. There's a lyric in here that uh, you alluded to uh, in regards to just, you know, could be a Vietnam War, could be just war in general. In the stanza before it, she sings, children lose their youth too soon. Watching war made us immune. I mean, certainly powerful imagery, but I was just thinking about, you know, some, some of those themes that, you know, took place on that early record. So it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a callback there, if you will. Yeah, I think it really is. And I think that that's something too, that at the time in the early 2000s was, just a constant barrage. Cable news was sort of not new. There'd been cable news for a long time, but the 24-hour CNN news cycle of you can literally turn on the TV any time of day and watch horrible things happening. And, you know, the chicks are not the only ones who are making these sort of observations, right? Like one of our, one of our greatest YA uh, art forms sort of works of the last 15 years or so is Suzanne Collins's Hunger Games, right? And that's based on the same thing. That's based on her flipping back and forth through the channels and she would see the real world road rules challenge and then the next channel would be bombs. And she was like, oh, we're literally gonna just like kill each other for fun soon. And I think it's a similar, like that that children use their, lose their youth too soon. It's the same vibe as you know, sending 12 to 17 year olds into an arena to kill each other for the amusement of the capital, right? Right. And let's distract you in the meanwhile with real world and road rules, you know, forget that other channel that might be sitting right next to. Right. And then sort <laughs> the of flash you when you change the channel to try to get to Nickelodeon. Right. Yeah. We're talking with Julia Kane here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka about all things related to the Chicks, or the Dixie Chicks, uh, as they were known for this particular album. What's next year? I th- believe we have Not Ready to Make Nice, and this is about as autobiographical as a song can possibly be as in relation to their career at this moment in time. It's a real inflection point. Musically, I, I, for some reason, I thought of Neil Young's Heart of Gold. Yeah, I can, I can hear that, especially the... There's, there's sort of that soft rocking motion in the beginning. The forgive sounds good. Forget I wish I could. It's, it, it feels like you're being cradled and rocked. And right. And when they're talking about forgiving and forgetting, it's got like this really sort of, sort of a, a peaceful vibe like you would expect coming from easy silence. Right. And then it makes it such a change when you get to the chorus where she's, you know, she's been talking about how maybe she should have think, done things differently and like, you know, she's paid prices and she's gone through hard things. And then and then they she comes in and the music really goes from this soft rocking, forgiving and forgetting to a real sort of jamming guitar driven, almost grungy sort of vibe. Could I see Eddie Vedder sing Not Ready to Make Nice? I could. That's a really interesting observation. I never thought about that. That's cool. Yeah, I could hear that as well. Or Courtney Love. Courtney Love would do a great job with this song. Yeah. Right? Like, cause it's this it's it's the same vibe. It's the it's the 
what? No, I'm angry. I, I'm right to be angry. But it, they come into it from this soft, it's almost, it's almost, a, it's the red herring, right? Of I, I like forgiveness. Forgiving sounds great. But then saying, you know, but me forgiving you is not the part that needs to happen, right? Because I didn't actually do anything wrong. But And there will always be remnants there. Right. I mean, scars, they fade, but they don't disappear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they say time heals everything, but I'm still waiting. So that there's a real cynicism towards <laughs> waiting for time to to do the work that you, you hope that it can to try to, to repair what's been kind of, you know, what has been frayed in this situation. But to come back to that, I think... At this point, if you ask Natalie Maines, does time still does time heal everything and are you still waiting? I think she would say, I mean, I don't she doesn't really have to wait. I think she's pretty much been uh, vindicated in a lot of the popular the popular culture, the popular experience. I think a lot of people look back at that situation and go, oh, yeah, no, they were done dirty. And I mean, there's still people that that obviously don't like them and are mad at them. And that's a thing that happened. But, you know, I think the overarching narrative has turned into, can you believe what they did to the chicks? But then I also think, you know, in the last couple of presidential elections, did you vote in favor of the Iraq war has been used as an attack on candidates? When literally that's what they like, that's what they said. She was like, we would, you know, really prefer not to be going into this Iraq war. But when she said it in 2003, it was super controversial. And now it's like, what a fool. I can't believe you voted for the Iraq war. And the idea of being saying that she was ashamed to be from Texas, that right. made just as big of a stink. And yes, and, absolutely. And, and, but I think also a lot of people now are like, ooh. I might be ashamed to be from Texas. Am I ashamed to be from Texas? And I think it's more, I think, I think they really, the, the passage of time really has, it hasn't healed it because I don't, well, no, it hasn't erased it. Right. But there's a difference between healing and erasing. You know, you, if you break your leg, eventually your bone heals, but like it might still hurt when it's about to rain. It, it it could be healed. Time does heal things, but time doesn't erase the impact of those things, right? And I think if you talk to Natalie, Natalie Maines now and you said, do you feel like a lot of this situation has been healed and a lot of how your role in it is considered has really changed in the intervening 14 years since this album? Right. Because it had been three years between the album, between taking the long way and the incident, it had been three years. But it's been 14 years since that. Mm -hmm. And now they're putting out music videos, you know, things like March, March to Your Own Drum. And the music video is very focused on Black Lives Matter and protest and advocacy. And I think that they have move to a place where you know it's not the same but i don't know if they'd want it to be the same and i think that they would say that they're in a strong position 
and not erased, but healed. Chatting with Julia Kane here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. Julia is calling us from the Jersey Shore. She's a folklorist. She's also a college administrator. Um, following this track, Not Ready to Make Nice, we have a tune called Everybody Knows. And uh, one of my personal favorite uh, songwriters uh, played a bit of a role in this song, and that would be Gary Loris, who's uh, part of the legendary band from Minneapolis known as the Jayhawks. And uh, there's also an appearance by Ben Montench, who played some organ. Um, what do you think about this track, Julia? I think I think it's a little bit of a departure from the sort of opening self-biographical story song. But I think it's talking a lot about a thing that... I, I think it's coming back to sort of the young people finding themselves vibe that the chicks embodied early in their career, right? But early on, it was like, I need to escape. I need to go to these, you know, to be in nature, to 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 make my mistakes, etc. And now it's sort of saying, I need to be willing to be vulnerable, which I think the emotional, the emotional discovery is something that comes a little later for people than the sort of physical, what do I, where do I want to live? What do I want to do with my life, etc. That that comes early. But the how do I let myself be open when I've been hurt? How do I let people see who I am truly inside? I mean, middle and high school teach you to keep as much inside as you possibly can, right? Because anything that's unusual will make you a target. And this song is really about allowing, uh, allowing people to see the actual you who you actually are, you know? And I think that this is more about um, allowing yourself to be the self that you actually are, right? In a way that makes you vulnerable, makes you, and and especially for somebody who has had backlash to expressing themselves honestly, um, I think it's really, I think it's honestly pretty unusual to not be talking about because it's not even talking about how do I find love. It's not talking about how I'm, how do I become cool. Like it's an unusual subject for a, a song. Like how do I find my inner self and be honest about who I am? Following everybody knows we have a song. Uh, it's an it's another co-write with uh, Gary Loris, and it's called Bitter End. This one is such a gorgeous waltz, and uh, it's also discussing those vulnerabilities and who. Who are the fair weather friends in the world? What's yeah, your... it's 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 pretty clear that this whole album is about reassessing sort of what's important to you. Just literally every song is like, I have reassessed what is important to me, and here's a different way that I have done that. Here's an additional way that I have gone what has meaning for me, what what makes me actually happy. After Bitter End, we have a track called, appropriately called Lullaby. It's stripped down, it's tender, beautiful pedal steel, whispering, dreamy vocals. Um, what do you like about this song? I think this song is a really nice sort of embracing of a next phase, right? So like the previous songs on the album have sort of been a rehashing of things that have already happened. Um, but Lullaby 
it, it's a lullaby. It it was written for their children. Um, a couple of the the chicks had just had babies. Um, Natalie Natalie Maines had just had a son. Um, and says basically like this song. This is my son's song. Um, and it I think it really acts as a gateway to sort of a different approach, right? So a lot of the rest of it has been relitigating things that happened before. And this is more of a, how am I moving forward? That I think it, it, it has a nice, um, it's like a nice pivot point for sort of the first half of the album. And of course, you know, 2006, we were all listening on CDs. But I do sort of appreciate when an album sort of goes back to that old vinyl vibe of like, the first half is one thing. And then the second, like, then you would flip the record over, right? And it would be a little different. And I feel like this whole sort of first half of the album is like sort of your classic A-side album, album half, right? Of like, the autobiographical story and the relitigation and the understanding new things about yourself and then the moving into a new phase. And I think this is a nice sort of way to wrap up that first half and move into the new phase. Yeah. It's it, it, this record is beautifully sequenced. It's, it's almost preparing you to kind of catch your breath a little bit and say, Hey, here's a whole different series of mu- movements, you know, that you better get ready for. So we're going to let you get up, flip the record press pause if you need to on a compact disc and we're just going to get back at it with Lubbock or leave it another appropriately titled name, you know, with this theme of Texas. Um, it's a rollicking country tune, you know, kind of bordering on uh psycho Billy, I, I guess. Um, yeah. What, what do you think so about Lubbock is, or leave it? Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely, um, Again, like I said, it you know you, you sort of get the vibe that they it's like it was on on vinyl and they they are moving to the second half right where you get a whole different sonic mo- moment, and I think it's it it really is like a you know a psychobilly kind of thing. It really is like a hardcore Texas honky tonk kind of thing, but it's also about like you know some of the there were like do 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 we like everything about this? Like we're gonna use the genre to be like. How did you also not like Buddy Holly and now he has a statue? Like that's that's part of the lyric, right? Is like Yeah. There's a uh, there's a Buddy Holly statue now in Lubbock. And Lubbock was originally like, oh no's the rock and roll. It will bring our children to hell. Yeah, Paris, Texas, Athens, Georgia's not what I had in mind as I'm getting out to laugh to myself, because this is the only place where as you're getting on the plane, you see Buddy Holly's face. It's honestly a little bit macabre that, like, the Buddy Holly statue is so close to the airport in Lubbock. Because, like, planes took his life. Does he have to also stand by them for eternity? That's a lot. <laughs> yes. But, like, that's a lot. They they really are sort of, um, again, I think, leaning in on where they're ending up. And and embracing that, right? And this is gonna be way out of left field, right? But Lil Nas X has a new song that came out this week. Um, and it's the music video is very um hell and Satan focused. 
um, which this song, this song also is about going to hell's half acre and not being able to resist temptation and being saved. Right. And one of the things that Lil Nas X has said is like, you told me my whole life that I was going to go to hell for being homosexual. And now I'm going and you're also mad. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that that sort of is, is a similar vibe here. Right. And is, and is very similar to sort of your, um, like your Hank Jr. family tradition kind of vibes, right? Like the, yeah, I, like I, I do some things that you might not like, but like that's, that's what that is. And you're just going to have to either get over it or die mad about it, I guess. Come at me. <laughs> yeah, right? Like good luck. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've had this sort of vibe before, right? Um, they had a song called Sin Wagon on, I want to say Fly. Um, which is about like, it's, it's literally about having premarital sex and basically saying, I don't care if you think this is wrong. So they have a lot of callbacks on this album to a lot of their previous stuff where it's sort of a deeper and more intense and more internal look at that. Right. So you've got your easy silence, which is like a, a more adult, mature, damaged in a way look at Cowboy Take Me Away, which is your romance and your butterflies and your skipping through a field holding hands kind of vibe. And then this, this Lubbock or Leave It, is sort of your sin wagon. Sin wagon for grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's really interesting how many of the songs on this are almost callbacks to earlier albums and to figuring out some of those things again as an older more mature adult who's been through some different stuff it's kind of like pieces of a puzzle and sometimes a few of those pieces kind of get stuck under the couch or something like that and then oh here you go here's another portion of the story that i've been waiting to tell you for a couple of years exactly exactly yeah this is a much more internal and uh and sort of meditative i mean it's it's not meditative in sound at all, obviously, but it's clearly somebody. It sounds like somebody who went to country music therapy. Like they, they went to they they took all their country songs and they took them to therapy and they talked to a therapist and they're like, "This is how I approach it now." That's good. <laughs> Following uh, "Love It or Leave It," we have a tune called "Silent House," and uh, I love the tension and and just kind of tenor if you will of this song what are your thoughts about silent house i heard more neil young like neil young circa crosby stills nash and young uh influence in this particular track but i don't know what do you think yeah um so actually the track that this reminds me of the most is by glenn campbell um, and it didn't come out until after this but it's called um, I Won't Miss You. Glenn Campbell had Alzheimer's disease. He lost his memory. He And I Won't Miss You is the last song he recorded. And it's about like, all of this will be sad, but it'll be, I, I won't know any different, right? And I think that this is sort of from the other side of that, right? This is clearly a song about a caretaker. It's clearly a song about somebody who is watching sort of aging and, and the loss of mental clarity. And I think that 
it's something, it, again, it's coming at that same, it's a more adult perspective, right? Like wide open spaces, you want to get away from mom and dad. Taking the long way is mom starting to lose her marbles. Do I need to be her caretaker? And I think that that's a lot of the sort of squishy sandwich generation um, that is going on now. Um, and, and actually, I think it's a great way to sort of keep connected with you know, I said early on that my mom really loved the chicks um, because she was going through some stuff when they first came out that their their songs really spoke to her about boundaries and about not putting up with a man who treats you wrong and whatever. Right. But like my grandmother is in her 90s now and like is deteriorating. And I think that this is sort of reaching out again to those people who are having to take on these caretaking roles and who are feeling squished by children on the on the bottom and parents on the top and it gives them sort of a a way to connect to the chicks that's not about it's not like the rollicking good time of some of their early works right it's about actual stuff you deal with that sucks but like you can feel that connection and then catharsis like I just held it together a little bit but I got a little bit choked up while I was talking about the Glen Campbell and my grandmother and like you need that though right like that's I think a huge thing that music does for us is gives us places of catharsis where emotions that we are holding inside need to leak out right so that you can keep doing the hard thing that you're doing and I think this is incredible for being able to have that connection for sort of this caretaking generation that is squished in the middle. Absolutely. Following, um, following silent house, uh, we have a tune called favorite year. Another example of a co-write. Uh, this one happens to be, I believe with Cheryl Crow and, um, another, uh, heartbreaker from, uh, Tom Petty and the heartbreakers. We mentioned Ben Montage just a little bit earlier. Uh, but this time, Mike Campbell makes an appearance with Ben Mont, and this is this one is is a is a departure uh, from the previous track. It sounds so much more joyful and nostalgic for some reason. What, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think this was really an interesting sort of collaboration with Cheryl Crow, who was in her sort of transition to country music. She made a transition to country music in sort of the mid two thousands, doing like you know, picture with Kid Rock. Um, and that kind of thing. And I think, I think this is really, um, I think in some ways you can hear the connections to like, all I want to do and, and Tuesday night music club from her. Right. I think, I think that comes through in some of, uh, you know, some, some of my favorite mistake vibes, right. From Cheryl Crow. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I really think that this is sort of an interesting one about, so again, it's but this whole album is really just about like moving into a different phase of your life. Right. And this is the one where like you can look back fondly on the one that got away instead of feeling like super sad or upset. Like we had a cute little thing and like, that was great. And that's not what we're doing now, but like it was great while it lasted. And now I'm doing something else. I think that's definitely like a, like where they're sort of going with it. And that's what I get out of it anyway. Same here. Um, I do like 
you know, there's this line, but would you tell me now, would you lay down, would you lay me down beside you? Tell me everything I want to hear. Like that was your favorite year. But then it takes that last little bit and sort of poses it as a question. Like that was your favorite year. You know, there's almost like it's, it's sort of joyful, but a little bit of confusion in the sense of, well, was this time really good? You know what that sort of brings me back to is everybody telling me or people telling you that like high school is the best years of your life. And you're sort of like, oh, God, I hope not. Yeah, really? Like, like I'm I'm young and I'm doing good, like, but like, can I can I please have another great year sometime? I'm yeah, glad I'm... that that was your favorite year. Like, I'm glad you had a nice time in high school with me. But like, please have another great favorite year also. Yeah. Let's keep the number line going, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> After right. um yeah after after favorite year we have a song called Voice Inside My Head and I just think it's another gorgeous track too. Yeah, I think it's really I think it's really good. I think Linda Perry has some some influence on that from Four Non Blondes, you know, because What's Up is such a classic. You know, you get the vague sort of grungy punky vibe out of it too. Uh, not instrumentally, but again, I'm as a folklorist, right? Like my main focus is lyrics. I love musical accompaniment. I think it makes or breaks a song, but I spend a lot of my time going, now what do they mean by this? Right. And I, I think that this is definitely a sort of a, this is sort of the opposite of the last one, right? Where last one, it was like, I'm nostalgic for you, but like, also we, we should continue having good years. And this one is more like, oh, this this is the one that got away that I shouldn't have let get away. Right. And not sad about it, just like a, almost like an irony to it. Yeah. When I said goodbye to you, ten, like it's very specific. Ten summers ago. I mean, does that feel like a somebody went to college and so they broke up vibe to you? Because that's what it feels like to me. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ten summers ago. It's hit September. We said goodbye. That was it. Parted ways. Moving on. Yeah. 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 I think this one is um I, I, I do think this whole album is musically really adventurous and different from what they'd ever done before. And I think a lot of that is connecting with more people in rock and not as many in country, right? Because of I mean they're pariahs in country. You can't work with the Dixie Chicks because then you're a pariah too. So they moved into, I think, having more collaborators in rock. And I think that gave them a much more diverse variety of sounds. Like, it's still clearly country music, but you, those influences that you hear are really much broader. Yeah. So after Voice Inside My Head, we have another co-write here with Gary Loris of the Jayhawks, and it's called I Like It. Um, what do you think about this song? Do you think it's, like, sequentially? Do you think it's a great fit on the track? Uh do you like um, the instrumentation of it? Are there any kind of lyrics that really stand out or speak to you? It, honestly, by this point in the record, this one is starting to feel a little bit more like we get it. You've come to find a new way of approaching things, right? Um, a, a lot like the songs are sort of varying degrees of I've come to know myself better, right? And, and I, I, like, I like this song. I like every song on this album, but I, I do think this is sort of one of the ones that would have been on a bubble 
if there had been one more really great song that they'd written, this one might have been the one that got the push. But I do appreciate the sort of, I appreciate the commitment to like the imagery in it of riding a merry-go-round and and being down by the sea and dancing. And I, I do think it has a lot of visual pictures that it brings you that are really evocative. Mm-hmm. Noisy streets and sleepy bars, neon signs and the rusty cars. Yeah. How many nights have I wondered how one goes through life without seeing the beauty of love? Yeah, so after... Um, after I like it, we have a track called Baby Hold On. What do you think about this one, Julia? Um, this one is one this this is sort of one of their more, I think, more a throwback to sort of the classic uh your cowboy take me away, which is which is genius. And I'm not trying to slag on Cowboy Take Me Away, right? But I think it's more of a throwback to sort of your classic love song lust song about taking time for you and the and 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 your sort of romantic partner and and it it does acknowledge though some sort of the um the complications of that right about how like now you've got kids (laughs) and you're not 22 and carefree anymore but like you can still have those times that are just for you that are just for your love that are just for goofing off and being silly and and uh, I think that that's, um, I think it's a breath of fresh air after the sort of intensity of I took all my songs to therapy to get back to, but also like, let's just lay in bed with the funny papers and like eat some pancakes and brew coffee around. Yeah. <laughs> after like, baby. It's, a ni- it's a nice yeah. to be like, I am not fully self-actualized and mature now. We also have this fun song. After Baby Hold On, we have a tune called So Hard. Is yeah. this uh, is this kind of a continuum on Baby Hold On? Just kind of keeping things light for the time being? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. I think it is. Um, and I think it's sort of a... It almost feels like these two songs should go between your sort of early wide open spaces, Cowboy Take Me Away, and the sort of first half i am so old and wise now right like these are sort of the we're finding our way but we're still young and cool and you know this is sort of going oh yeah uh, oh i have to really actually have to work at this i can't just we don't just hang out and everything's fine like i have to think about things and like put in actual effort to make this keep going good because the line is it's so hard when it doesn't come easy Right. Like, and that's true. Like when things are easy, when things are easy, great. Anybody can do that. Right. And this is sort of saying, oh, <laughs> I actually have to do something about this. And and OK, I, I don't always succeed, but I'm going to try and we're going to see how that goes. And I like that acknowledgement of like, like it's a trial balloon you might still <laughs> mess it up. Yeah. It's a lot of effort to to be in a relationship with somebody, to be in a partnership with somebody. And like, no matter how hard you're trying, you might screw it up, but like you have to sort of learn to get to a place where you're both happy with how it's going. Absolutely. After so hard, we have a track called I hope. And uh, 
This winds the record down with uh, just kind of this ease of a church organ and uh, another example of a co-write here with uh, Keb Mo, which is kind of unexpected. Uh, and it ends with like this cool sort of radio fade out between Keb Mo and um, Ben Montench, who also makes a really wonderful contribution here uh, in the refrain. Um, I believe this song, if I'm not, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was, I think it was part of a telethon during Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. And, uh, you know, I, I would be remiss to mention also that John Mayer also has contributed some musicality to this song as well. Um, what do you think about I Hope? So I actually think that I Hope is like, it's it's basically the lead into Gaslighter, right? Which is their current album, came out last year. Um, because the Dixie Chicks did not put out any new work between 2006 and 2020. They just completely, they toured. Um, your lovely wife and I went to see them in concert. It was great. Um, they had a couple of greatest hits albums and live albums. But basically, it went from this song to Gaslighter and March and all these super activisty woke songs, right? Um, and I think that this song, this I Hope song, is is the that is the transition of this, right? It's about it's about domestic abuse. It's about having to do things differently and making the world better for your children and not wanting to hear about killing anymore. And it is connected to a bunch of things that went catastrophically wrong uh, in New Orleans during Katrina and how that devastation was unevenly distributed. Theoretically, a rainstorm should not ruin the lives and kill lots of poor people and all the rich people are fine, but somehow that's what happened. So it really sort of highlighted a lot of the structural disparities that like are built into us, right? Are built into our society. And this song highlights a bunch of those, but also sort of sets it up in a hopeful way of saying like, we can make those changes, right? We can say, I'm not accepting this anymore. And I can, I can make this different for my child, right? Because as we said earlier, they have tiny babies when this, when this album comes out, like the, the chicks have tiny, tiny babies when this all comes out. And they are, I think, f- picturing the world as it's no longer about themselves and about the impact on themselves. And it's, where am I trying to set this up? to be for my kid. And that really comes back in Gaslighter, right? There are several songs where they're addressing their children and their nieces and sort of the next generation of people and saying, I have learned some stuff. So like, let's put you on a better path right from the start. And this is really the lead into all of that, right? And I think it's really clear that they worked not with Kebmo specifically, but like it's clear there was a voice of a person of color on this track, right? Because it's bringing up things that I think a lot of white bands would paper over. And country country's always been good about picking up some of the like messed up stuff because 
it's always been sort of at least nominally for the poor and the working class and the rural. But I appreciate that they brought in, you know, Kebmo and his blues and his R&B and like brought dimension to that, which also the Chicks collaborated with Beyonce on Daddy Lessons, her song Daddy Lessons. The Chicks are collaborators on that. And again, it's the sort of same, it's like a solidarity, right? Between here's our country singers and here's our sort of black urban blues musicians, right? And how are these, how do these go together and how are we fighting the same kinds of things and how do we sort of band together to make this be better? And not just, don't just sing a sad song, sing a song with like action items. Yeah. And the narrator in this, in this case is literally spelling out that she doesn't pretend to know all the answers, but we have to figure out a way of working together to collaborate on these ever present, really challenging issues in society. How do we, how do we confront them in some sort of positive manner? Right. And not get entrenched in a position of opposition. Right. We're talking with Julia Kane here on Cover to Cover with Matt Turka. We have been talking extensively about the Dixie Chicks and uh, a 2006 record called Long Way Around. Um, Julia is a folklorist. She's a college administrator. And uh I would like to close our conversation, traditionally do this with a little chat about cover art. And uh, when you look at this 2006 offering from the Dixie Chicks, uh, what kinds of images are conjured up in your mind? Um, Do you see this as a band renewed? Do you you sense that tension that, you know, we've been talking about in many of these songs on the faces, for example? What, What is on the cover and what is just the overall vibe that you get? So when you look at the cover of Taking the Long Way, it is a primarily black and white photograph of the three uh, members of the Chicks, and, which is of itself sort of unusual for them because previously they've had very brightly colored or their previous outing home is sepia. It's like a nice soft brown, um, which really reflect sort of reflected that sort of very down home, very country vibe. Um, this one is much more urban in appearance. Like they're leaning on a car door. There's a neon light. It's like the only source of color um, in the, on the cover. So it's this black and white picture of them, but then this bright yellow arrow pointing at Natalie Maines, um, which is sort of a, it's a little on the nose, but I'm into it. Um, And a thing that I feel like is um, it may seem like a small thing, but it's actually not. Two of them are brunette in this. And that is such a departure from their sort of initial vibe, right? So when they hit the scene, they were three like platinum blonde, Barbie blonde young women. Um, And then through the course, um, Emily Irwin went sort of first like a like a sandy color and then like a light brown. But by the time we get to taking the long way, 
Natalie Maines also has dark hair. And I think it's really like a, it's like a, a, like a foreshadowing almost of how this is a darker album, how it's about having been through some things. I think it's got a much more rock and roll vibe in the art than any of their previous art did. And I think that it really is sort of telling you that they are in a very different place than they were and that you should expect something different. My thanks to Julia Kane for taking some time to stop by the program today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to all of your favorite podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or Amazon. Take a moment to tell your friends and your family about our show. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.